Hello everybody and welcome to episode 4 of For Fact's Sake, the Ferrets podcast about misinformation and fact-checking. As always, I'm here, Owie Brian, fact-checker of the Ferret, and joining me as always, Paul Dobson. How are you doing, Paul? I'm very well, Ali. I suppose it's more about how you are this week, because mm. you've been in isolation, haven't you? Yeah, I've been in my spare room going slightly mad in COVID-19 isolation, but as we always say, the show must go on. So we're still doing a podcast, we've still got a great interview, and we've still got a great Paul's Curiosity Corner. Would you like to explain which things are going to fill each of those roles this week? So we've got Lisa Segura from the University of Portsmouth talking to us about the incel movement, which you may be aware of, the misogynistic online movement, uh, which has sprung up over recent years. Mm -hmm. We are looking at your fact check on energy prices, which is, I'm sure, something that's the forefront of everyone's mind with the recent cold spell. And on Paul's Curiosity Corner, we are looking at an anti-Semitic white supremacist conspiracy theory. So all positive, happy stuff. The reason you come to this podcast. Exactly. Hopefully we'll be able to leave you with some more positive stuff on the outro. So we'll start off speaking to Dr. Lisa Segura. I'm a reader in cybercrime and gender at the University of Portsmouth and I teach and research in the field of online gender-based violence and technology-facilitated sexual violence. Today we're talking about the incel phenomenon. A number of our listeners might not know that much about it, so could you just explain first of all what the term incel means? Incel is portmanteau, it's short for involuntary celibate. And those that um, self-ascribe to that term view themselves as unsuccessful in attaining sexual or romantic relationships with those they desire. Being unsuccessful in romantic endeavours isn't necessarily a new thing, but where does like the incel thing and the incel culture actually come from? Interestingly, the term, the etymology of the term has got a far more sort of gender inclusive, sort of innocent aspect to it. It was created right. by um, a queer woman, Alana, sort of in the late 1990s. And it was for anybody of any gender who hadn't had sex or a relation, romantic relationship in a long time. But what's happened over the years is that it's been appropriated foremost by men, men who appear to be more sort of disgruntled at women they blame sort of feminism and the society that they view favor women um, for all of their sorts of problems and they really place this great importance on sort of um, having sex and sort of adhering to this ideal of manhood as well that they feel is beyond their means Um, so they they see this term as not even a term it's a it's a life circumstance it's a realization for them that this is why they're so unhappy and you know that they need to sort of fight back in retaliation okay so that sounds like quite an unflattering way to self-identify so i suppose what kind of demographic does that appeal to and what draws people to identify as incels 
Absolutely. I mean, on the surface of it, you'd think, well, why would you want to self, you know, self-identify with that? Why would you want to be part of that community? Um, and so in my research, in which I spent a long time looking um, and spending time on lots of different incel sites, um, as well as interviewing um, people who self-identify as incel or as a former incel, and um, some of the reasons they give. I mean, first, first, firstly, as I said, they see it as a life circumstance. So once they are exposed to the incel ideology, it's almost like a realization that this, oh, this is who I am. Um, right. So they don't even view it as a choice. Um, and then secondly, there's something about that community, about being online, finding like-minded others. It's also really seductive to be told that all of your problems are not your fault. It's just the way you were born and that women are inherently evil and society is unfairly in favour of them. Um, so, of course, that's really appealing as well. There's a few different sort of sub-genres and offshoots and sort of related things to incels. That we that people might talk about. There's there's obviously men's rights activism as a thing, and then yep. there's also me, there's men going their own way, which is I know that's yep. a thing that was on Reddit. But how are they linked together, and how and what's the differences between those things? Yeah, so I mean, incels are just one small part although they're the part that gets them the most sort of attention um, yeah. of the so-called broader online manosphere and within mm -hmm. the manosphere and how that is sort of connected is the fact that there's um, an underlying belief in sort of anti-feminism um, and the need to you know, re emphasize men's rights and a kind of desire to return to sort of traditional values and rigid gender stereotypes um, so obviously we mentioned incels and you mentioned Mugtow men go in their own way. Um, they differ from incels. They don't necessarily. There's difference of ideologies as well. Incels mm. uh, ascribe to the black pill ideology, and that's unique to them. Whereas other groups in the manosphere, they ascribe to the red pill, which is uh, sort of an analogy taken from the Matrix film. Ironically, given the fact that the Wachowski sisters wrote it about an, uh, an allegory for transgenderism, which is something that is not recognized in yeah. the manosphere certainly not doesn't fit with their ideology and um mugtows men go in their own way um they've come to the realization that because of women's superficiality and evilness that they're better off just not having any interaction with them but but as a complete contradiction it, there's, there's evidence to show that many Mugtown members, in fact, are married and are in relationships. <laughs> so they're saying right. they don't want anything to do with women, but yet they're actually very much, you know, in relationships with them. Um, men's rights activists, sort of um, that broader kind of um, men's rights movement, which is linked back to the sort of um, 1960s, 1970s, which was the kind of offshoot of um, the men's liberation movement, which initially was an ally of feminism of second wave feminism um but it's it sort of there was that splinter splintering off mm. over the years where men's rights sort of became very much about anti-feminism and challenging any sort of feminist gains or progression for women and women's equality um you also get pickup artists puas as well and they're 
they again differ from incels but are also closely aligned um in terms of um you know how they view women again shallow their only values in their looks their bodies they're just mm. mere vessels to be tricked into sex and everything about pickup artistry is very much about sharing those tips and techniques to trick mm. women um this was especially big in the sort of mid 2000s you had neil strauss's the game which was a right, mainstream yeah. best-selling book um mm-hmm. and um and i think another crossover as well between pickup artists and incels is that some of the more high profile um attacks the perpetrators of those um there's evidence to show that they were on pickup artist forums and that right. they sort of resented the fact that those techniques were not doing anything for them what you get in the manosphere is this kind of ecosphere where you've got resentment hatred of women anti-feminism as well as obviously very real men's issues as well suicide loneliness mental health and parental rights oh the fact that there is limited support for male survivors of domestic abuse or victims of sexual assault as well but Mm -hmm. often that's you know sort of Movements in those very real and very significant areas are not really what's driving these groups as well. Uh, it's more it's more that, oh, men experience these problems because of women. And so we need to, ha- that's yeah. a justification to hate on women instead of actually trying to enact any meaningful change. Right, but there's these sort of more like legitimate access points maybe that somebody yeah. might come in through, but then gets drawn into these things. One thing just occurred to me while we were speaking is... With incels and men going their own way, you talked about the like interactions between them and pickup artistry. But is the aim of an incel to not be an incel, to, to, lo- <laughs> to lose their virginity, or and this because I know men going their own way that seem to be more like, well, this this is we're going to try and not focus on women almost. Yeah, unsurprisingly, the whole incel ideology and community is replete with contradiction. So mm-hmm. um, I mentioned the black pill which is this nihilistic worldview where your situation is immutable. You can't change. So you've just got to accept it. And I mean, that's where, you know, the kind of fatalism, you know, that, you know, well, you may as you know, life's not even worth living sort of perspective. You're the lowest of the low. Um, And so if people if if you've got individuals that are genuinely black pilled well then they wouldn't even have an aim to not be an incel would they because they generally thought well i can't change my circumstances this is me i'm forever an incel however (laughs) that however and underneath it there is there is still that desire to have relationships and sex they're obsessed with it because that's you know that's what they talk about that's why they talk about that's why they dissect their appearance so much um because they're still they still want to be attractive or they still want to attract attract women so it's as i said it's, it's all contradictory um i don't want to generalize and say oh absolutely every single incel is you know wants to you know wants to change i mean and there might be some that just really think no this is me i'm happy with it in whatever way shape, shape or form that is and it might be really hard to understand for others outside of the community um but certainly the ones that I spoke directly with, there was that desire to ascend, that ascension to come away. It's very biblical to come right. away from yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and those that said they were ex-incels, it was because they had found a relationship. So basically, yeah, women were the cause of the problems and the cure, which obviously I'm very <laughs> yeah. uncomfortable with. Is this a totally online subculture? 
Um, and how does meme culture on places like Reddit and 4chan, how does that interact with it? So I think, I mean, incels in, in, the, in the formation that, that, that they have, that they wouldn't exist if it wasn't for digital technologies. But at the core of it, I think it's really important to not overlook the, you know, the underlying misogyny, the underlying same old gender stereotypes and expectations um, on women and men as well, which of course predate the internet, mm. um, you know, and they still exist offline as well. We're talking about systemic problems in our societies that have just sort of found a, a new lease, lease of life online. They just didn't, they've got this new sort of iteration basically, but incels, I, I think it's problematic to look at them in isolation and not think how they fit into the broader pattern of violence against women and girls and misogyny and, and sort of, and I, and sort of, you know, the expectations of what it is to be a man and the pressures on young men and boys. I think all, you know, all of that, they're not separate. They're not some sort of isolated subculture online that doesn't have any connection with the mainstream. Um, but certainly, so digital technologies facilitated them and the lure of them, um, the meme culture, as you mentioned, I mean, again, that's really appealing. It's, I mean, it, it, it dumbs down any sort of harms as well that comes from it. It's presented as satire, it's a joke, mm. it's a way to appeal to people. Obviously, memes work because you, there's something you identify with, but it's just presented in a new way, right? Um, and of yeah. course, from that, you don't really understand the provenance. Um, you know, this is where you get the crossover with the far right as well, you know, 4chan, Reddit culture. Um, the alt right and and you know we're you know we're the using what seems like fun imagery and actually it can be dated back to things like Nazi propaganda but people yeah. don't realize yeah. that that the symbolism and the messages and the way it's trying to seduce people you know it's still it's you know it's, it's still really damaging the kind of central point of all this is how this culture affects women and girls particularly online has the incel culture had a, an impact or does it fit in an existing way that women can be treated online i think we're more aware of it now so it's easy it's, mm. it's easy to look at it and think oh the situation's getting worse or more toxic but i say when insult is incel culture anything particularly novel as opposed to just broader misogyny you know yeah. um it's about the silencing of women it's about sending that message you're not welcome here you know that your only value is you know your sexual appeal that that you know the the men who superior you know those messages are not just unique to incels um yeah. and that and and then obviously the other heinous uh, sort of behaviors that they have in terms of advocating for rape and encouraging like coercive and controlling behaviors you know they um you know they're, they're propagating obviously violence against women um that obviously just normalizing what was already really problematic in our societies. When you look at the statistics of sexual violence against women, you know, and a woman is murdered by a man every three days in the UK, you know, those sorts of things that we need to see as part of a broader pattern.
So Ali, last week you wrote an explainer on an issue that I'm sure is still at the forefront of everyone's mind as we experience this unseasonably cold March weather, namely mm. on why our energy bills are still sky high. So just to recap, can you remind our listeners the reason why energy bills have been shooting up over the last 18 months or so? Yeah, so... A lot of this is to do with wholesale gas prices. Uh, they significantly went up from about the middle of 2021 uh, as the world kind of came out from COVID. Uh, demand for gas went up and then production couldn't really keep up with this. So prices started to climb. There was also a series of kind of technical supply disruptions across Europe and then colder than average weather, which meant demand went up. So this was already creating a situation where wholesale gas prices were going, going higher. Okay. Then in Feb 2022, you've got Russia's invasion of Ukraine. This has a huge impact on supply as countries start to reduce or end their supply from uh, Russia. There's the whole Nord Stream pipeline issue. Um, Russia is traditionally one of the, the world's biggest gas suppliers. Obviously, the UK doesn't get a lot of its gas directly from Russia, um, but it imports a lot of its gas from Europe and is operating the same gas market as everybody else in Europe. So as supply started right. to go and prices went up, the UK is still affected by higher prices. Uh, this kind of continued throughout 2022 and hit a peak in about August last year. Yeah, so the reason you looked at this last week is because there have been numerous reports that gas prices are now coming back down. So is that true? Yeah, so wholesale gas prices are now down to, when I looked today, uh, around about the levels of mid-2021. So there's been various reasons for this. Obviously, the kind of abating of the conditions which caused the rise in the first place, not uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, but other things. Uh, and also, there's been unusually warm weather in recent months. We're currently in a cold snap, but uh, over the early part of 2023, this reduces demand for heating. And also, Europe in general and the EU have been making significant efforts to rebuild gas reserves, which were really depleted throughout the last year. And this has helped to regulate the supply a bit better and then calm down the markets. Okay, so why are our energy bills still climbing if gas prices are now coming down? Well, this is the question I think everybody's wondering. And energy bills are different uh, to wholesale energy. So obviously, because markets go up and down so much, we've talked about the fluctuations in the market already. What energy suppliers do is they buy energy for future use, sometimes up to years in advance. They sort of hedge their bets, um, allowing them to kind of set prices more uh, evenly and be able to plan into the future what this means is there's a delay before these changes to gas prices actually start being reflected in customer bills this is slightly complicated by the fact that the uk's energy regulator called offgem also sets uh the energy price cap that's a maximum on the amount suppliers can charge the public for units of energy so during the energy crisis last year this maximum amount went up significantly that meant that average energy bills of consumers were looking like they were going to go up really significantly this cap is actually due to go down from April. So it means that the max amount that energy suppliers can charge will go down from April. But this actually won't mean lower bills for consumers yet. Um, and this is where it kind of gets a bit complicated to explain. Listeners will probably remember that the UK government last year stepped in and put in place another limit on energy bills called the Energy Price Guarantee. So this sort of supersedes the off-gen price cap, which remains in place. So this means that the amount that people actually paid for their bills in the last six months or so was lower than the off-gen price cap at around 2500 per year on average. This limit, as in the energy price guarantee, is in April is set to go up to 3000 So it will be only protected to £3,000 rather than £2,500. So consumer bills are likely to go up at that point, even though gas prices are going down and the off-gen price cap is going down because the off-gen price cap is still higher than the UK government's guarantee. 
Does that make sense? I think you've done a very good job of explaining it, but I can certainly see why people are still somewhat confused. Yeah, exactly. Just to simplify, will we see the decreasing gas price impacting our energy bills anytime soon? Should see it relatively soon. Um, The one thing that will help is that uh, Ofgem is now setting the price cap four times a year rather than two times a year that means that you can they can react a little bit faster to changes in the market and changes in the price so theoretically uh reduction in gas prices should if trends continue this way then theoretically it should be reflected in bills this year Okay, welcome to Paul's Curiosity Corner. This week we are looking at a sinister conspiracy theory which connects an Austrian politician from the 1930s, the Nazis, and Southampton football club legend Matt Letizier. I'm referring to the Kalergi plan, which has had various references across Europe in recent years. So Ali, can you explain who Richard von Koundenhover Kalergi was and why would he have anything to do with Matt Letizier and the UK political debate in 2023? Yeah, I'll try and tie those things together if I can. Uh, Kalergi was an Austrian-Japanese politician, campaigner and nobleman who died in 1972. After World War I, he launched the Pan-Europa movement, which is the first kind of widely recognised European unification movement. A lot of people see him as one of the founding fathers of European European integration and the EU. Uh, broadly speaking, his ideas were about integrating countries, integrating people uh, within Europe and within the world. Uh, they were really influential to the creation of EU, um, but they've sort of made him a pretty controversial figure in the modern far right. And his name is attached to the aforementioned conspiracy called the Kalergi Plan, which uh, former footballer and now I'd say noted conspiracy theorist Matt Letizier mentioned in a video he appeared in online. What actually is the Kalergi plan? The Kalergi plan isn't really a plan. What the Kalergi plan is, is a conspiracy theory that there's some sort of organized attempt being made to replace Europe's white population with immigration from non-European countries. If you've followed our podcast or any of the kind of talk around misinformation in recent years, you'll probably recognize that conspiracy under some other different names maybe so it's sometimes referred to as white genocides or the great replacement theory and it's basically like a neo-nazi far-right conspiracy that elites of some sort um quite often it's associated by nazis with uh, jewish people um that they're attempting to somehow eliminate white populations by mass immigration kalergi himself was really convinced by the idea of racial integration, and he thought that it was kind of key to securing peace and prosperity in Europe. Um, he described in his writing the combining of different groups that was already happening after World War I. Um, this made him really unpopular uh, in Austria with one Adolf Hitler, uh, unsurprisingly, and Nazi propaganda from the time really, really harshly criticized him in various, very explicit ways. The idea of a Kalergi plan to wipe out white people was first promoted by an Austrian neo-Nazi writer who selectively quoted from some of Kalergi's writing to claim he wanted a European state dominated by Jewish people and his ultimate goal was the genocide of European people through mass immigration. So you've named one individual who's spreading this theory today. Who else and what kind of groups are spreading it and why has it become prominent again just now? Is it linked to the protests at migrant hotels that we've seen recently? Yeah, well, it's a form, as I said, of the great replacement white genocide myth. You Again, you hear it under various names, which has been promoted by far-right and Nazi groups for decades. Um, 
yeah, these conspiracies seem to have been attached to wider narratives like the Great Reset, like the New World Order. Even we've seen it in conspiracy groups uh, mentioned uh, relating to COVID-19 lockdowns and climate change and the um, the Great Reset and the World Economic Forum. All these kind of overarching conspiracy theory narratives which seem to be driving and kind of pulling in like conspiracies of various different types. So you'll see it um, mentioned a lot on social media if you like... If you follow some of the hashtags related to the clergy plan, there's, you know, it's mentioned by a lot of the same people you might, a lot of the people you might expect, uh, inf- conspiracy influencers, etc. But also seems to be becoming tied to various other things. And this, I think, is probably where Matt Letizia ended up getting it from. Um, for anybody who hasn't followed the journey of uh, Matt Letizia in recent uh, years, I think it basically seems like he was influenced by conspiracy thinking around lockdowns and the vaccine, and now regularly on his social medias promotes various conspiracy theories relating to climate change and uh, as say the things like the great reset etc etc and the kalergi plan is just one of those conspiracies that sort of floats around in that space Um, and it's really interesting to kind of watch and see from the outside how these conspiracy theories get tied together so things like like the kalergi plan is a sort of european version of that white replacement conspiracy theory which exists all over the world yeah it's interesting to see how it's now being tied together with stuff like the great reset and with climate change uh conspiracism and even covid conspiracism i think that's interesting what you mentioned there in terms of matt letissier's path in terms of conspiracy theories Mm. and how he sort of started off um covid covid skepticism and skepticism about lockdowns and now is repeating essentially nazi conspiracy theories from the 1930s is that kind of a well-trodden path for conspiracy theorists and is that something we could see other covid skeptics getting involved with yeah it's happened and i say it doesn't obviously happen to everyone and we're not in any way saying that matt letissier is connected to the origins of that conspiracy theory it's more that quite often with these conspiracy theories they all float around in the same space so if you go on various like i because of um, our work we tend to follow a fair few conspiracy groups like facebook groups and um various other like telegram channels and things like that where conspiracies are shared and you'll basically see that in a lot of them they may have started as covid lockdown based conspiracy sites or even just anti-lockdown sites but then everything starts to get thrown at them so there'll be conspiracies you know going from all oh, the covid19 lockdowns uh you know, uh, perfectly legitimate concerns about uh the mental health impacts of lockdown but then on the same site there'll be stuff talking about great reset and then the same site that we there'll be people mentioning the kalergi plan same site that we people talking about climate change is false and so you're basically it's really really easy for these things to be linked together and particularly people maybe don't know what the origins are of them are and how they're connected to really really quite extreme viewpoints that's all we've got time for for this week's episode of for fact's sake thanks so much to everyone for listening and thanks everyone for your comments and for giving us five stars on various podcast platforms really appreciate that and if you do think it's worth it please continue to do so it really really does help thanks so much to dr lisa segura for uh, her time and her expertise you can find her book which is called incel rebellion at all good bookstores i'm sure paul 
Is there anything else you'd like to say? I don't know, some sort of uh, where you can find us information. Yes, Ali, you can find us obviously on all the normal social media channels at Ferret Scott. We also have our brand new, slightly less brand new now community forum, community.theferret.scott, where we'll all be hanging out ready to converse with you and take any questions that you have about the ferret. Brilliant. And if you want to email directly to me, factcheck at theferret.scott is the place to go for that. We will see you next time. Bye. Bye.